What's up, guys? How's you guys the week? Good? Yeah? It's awesome. Man, we're going to have to get some of the table soon. Sweet Jesus. Um, yeah, I know, right? Praise God. Hey, guys, um, the curriculum, what we've been talking about, I know it's a little deep. Uh, sometimes it goes a little bit beyond what it is that we've been taught. But I want to make sure that at the end of the month, which will be next Monday, I'm going to give you guys some homework to try to apply what it is that you've learned, right? I don't want this just to be your coming and listening. I want to, you know, give you a sheet that's going to say, hey, you know, throughout the week, try to go through a checklist. Not that the kingdom is a checklist, but it's just it'll give you something to put into practice. I don't want this to be, hey, I just want to come and listen. I want to say, hey, I want to, I want to challenge you as well, right? And the next time we come next Monday is going to be Q&A, which means we're actually going to sit down and talk about everything that we've been talking about. I want to get you guys the emails before you leave so you can get all of the teachings so you can go through them throughout the week so you can listen to them again. That way when you sit down next Monday, we can sit down and talk about, okay, this is the issues that I'm having. Um, You know, obviously you have other fellowships, you have other people that you deal with. Maybe you go to a church that maybe doesn't teach this. Maybe you get a lot of pushback. Maybe you deal with people who are saying, hey, that's too too much. You know, we kind of just you know, you're a little drastic or maybe you're a little too uh, spirit-filled. I don't know. Just the weirdest things they can say. Uh, I want to be able to talk to you about it, like how we deal with it, how we address those things, because that's what's going to happen. You're going to be the weird one in the room. There's just no way around it. Once you start believing who God is for you, people are going to look at you weird. They're going to say, this is kind of this is kind of weird. Like, you know, we, we, we talk about it, but we don't actually believe that people actually do what it is we actually talk about, Right. So, you know, you go to services, you hear about men of God that talk about what God is doing, and that's the hope of glory. But then all of a sudden, when you start walking it out, you kind of feel alienated, right? And I want to let you guys know that's going to happen, but I want to create a group that will, that will uh, help you and bring you to a place of um, just getting settled into the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power, But it's not just about laying hands on the sick. It's actually about laying hands on your dreams and what it is that God has given you. So it goes beyond what it is that you're manifesting in other people. You know, what would happen if you really believe that God is who he says he is for you and you started taking hold of your dreams, you start taking hold of what it is that God has given you, you start taking hold of your family, your kids, your finances, your properties. Things will happen because you're going to walk out the kingdom with those things because God has given us those things to steward right? They're not ours. They're his, and we steward it. You know, you always hear about people that talk about they want a double portion, a double portion of this, double portion of that, but I think we need to learn how to steward what it is we have now, right? And once we learn how to steward what it is we have now, then we get an increase because it's about stewarding what it is that we have. And in the same way, when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to laying hands on the sick, you hear people saying that they want to see 100% miracles, right? How many of you want to see 100% miracles, right? Of course. But what kind of mindset does it take to carry that responsibility? What kind of mindset does it take, you know, to walk that out? What kind of wife, what kind of husband, what kind of kids do you need to have? Because they're going to go to school and they're going to get teased, right? People might lose their jobs. So what kind of mindset does that come with? Because it's a responsibility that you're carrying something amazing, right? And a lot of us want to see 100% miracles, but very rarely you'll hear people say they want to walk in 100% patience. They want to walk in 100% love. They want to walk in 100% long-suffering, right? And so to walk out 100% healing, you got to walk out Jesus out 
And that's what comes with it, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5.22. So I would like to make this a place where you guys can ask questions, you know, and, and a safe place where we can really get deep into the Word. You know, I had a uh, lunch with my pastor today, and this was amazing because we talked about something, and we both had two different perspectives, and it got a little heated, but in a good way. And I said, Pastor, this is what I'm missing. This is what I need in my walk. I need a man of God that I can challenge with what it is that I know. And so it's hard to find people like that that don't get offended, don't get upset. You know, if I say something to you that I believe, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be so scared that you will say, hey, man, we got to be careful with that because it's like, wait a minute. Here's the word of God. We're, we're adults. And I think, you know, we can come to grips with what it is that God has given us. And what is it that you're really afraid of? Right? What is it that you're really afraid of? Because the reality is some people are afraid that you might believe something different that, that they believe. That's what it's all about. And so the reality is, is that we have Christ and we're all growing and not everybody's going to understand where we're at. And we got to have patience. We got to really, really, really be um, graceful to those who don't understand what it is that we're walking in when we start walking this thing out because they're not there, you know, and they're growing and they're watching us. And as long as we do it in love and we don't get arrogant about it, we'll be good, right? So we're going to talk about um, Matthew chapter 4. I want to get into that right away. So we talked about Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We talked about principalities and powers. I confirmed that, you know, Jesus is the head of principalities and powers, but I want to show you how Jesus actually handled casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive. There's a verse before that that says that your weapons are not carnal, but they're pulling down of strongholds. And I want to show you biblically how Jesus did that. Um, somebody asked me a question before they left last Monday about what was it that Jesus was casting out of people. It was devils. It was spirits. But the question that I had asked you guys was, in, in Genesis to Malachi, why is it that we don't see this happening? Why don't we see this in the Old Testament? Why don't we see um, people get, you know, getting cast out of devils and being delivered of things? And you hear in the scriptures that, that Jesus says, you know, with what authority did your, did your sons cast out devils, right? Which means that they were doing it. But when Jesus did it, they said, what kind of new doctrine is this? Because they had never seen it before. So what Jesus was demonstrating was something that was totally different than, they had, than what they had ever seen, right? So I'm going to go to uh, Matthew chapter 4, and I'm going to read it to you guys. And this is when Jesus goes into the desert. If you guys aren't familiar with that, it's the temptation of Jesus. Hey, guys, let me ask you something. Does the word say that God cannot be tempted? that's what it says, right? That God cannot be tempted. But it's very interesting because the Bible says that Jesus was tempted at all points, right? So if Jesus is who he says he is, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Me and the Father are one, right? He even, t he even tells Thomas, you know, um, touch my hands, touch, touch my side. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God, right? Um, also, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. And he was the anointed one, which means he had the spirit inside of him since birth. And so I believe, according to my understanding, is that Jesus is God in the flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. Right? Now, if you don't believe that, I'm okay with that. 
I'm okay if you don't believe that. This isn't about what you believe. This is about what the word is trying to tell us, right? And if the word hasn't brought you to that place yet, we just dig a little deeper, you know, buckle down and find out what it is that the word is trying to tell us. Um, we know that Jesus is the savior of the world. That we know. So without him, you can't be saved, right? So we can confirm that, okay? So if the word says that God cannot be tempted and Jesus was tempted at all points, how is that possible? Exactly. That's because Jesus came in the flesh and temptation only attacks the flesh. This is why you're commanded not to live in it because the enemy will only attack your flesh because if he attacked your spirit, it wouldn't win because we know that the spirit is Christ. The spirit is the Holy Ghost. The spirit is, is God, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit in one, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 17 those who are joined to the Lord become one spirit. So I really get tickled when people tell me that they're going to go into spiritual warfare. And I tell them, what does that even look like? Because as a spirit in Christ, you've already won. So what is it that you're battling in the spirit? Really what they're saying is they want to go into prayer and battle some things so they can have victory in an area. And the only reason that they want victory in that area is because they don't understand that in the spirit, they're already in victory. The only difference is they haven't seen it manifest yet. So I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm not saying not to do those things. But what I'm saying is once you recognize that in Christ, you've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness and that you're complete in him, it's a totally different prayer life. Because now you're thankful. Now you're grateful. Now you're believing certain things. Now you know that you're walking into these victories every day. But if you're in the carnal realm, if you're, if you're in the flesh, you're going to have a lot of problems. Because you're going to think that you're being attacked constantly. Now, don't misunderstand me. You're going to have issues in life, okay? Jesus even said it. There was a man who built his house on the sand, the man who built his house on the rock. And when the storm came, which means you're going to get rained on at some point. The only difference is what hill are you standing on and what mindset are you dealing with these things, right? So if you're dealing out of a carnal mindset, you're going to feel like you're always being attacked. You're losing things. You're getting hurt. Something's wrong with you, and you're going to constantly cry out to God in your flesh, in this carnal reality, because everything's hurting you. But when you understand that you're in the spirit and these things are happening, you address them with a totally different mindset, because now you're not being attacked. Now you're being trained. Big difference. You want to be trained, or do you want to get beat up? And it's a mindset. It's a mindset. Jesus did not go into the desert to go get beat up. He went in there because the Holy Spirit led him there. And why did the Holy Spirit lead him there? To be tempted of the devil, right? So I'm going to read that to you, okay? So I am not saying that the devil does not exist, okay? Because the word will confirm that the devil is real, that spirits are real, that the demonic is real. I'm just addressing what it is. The problem is we don't address what it is. We're fighting this spirit, that spirit, this feeling, this emotion, this demonic, this witchcraft, and we're just throwing punches in the air and we're not hitting anything, right? And then we're like, did you win? Yeah, I won. How do you know? Oh, because I was up till 3 o'clock in the morning waging war on this thing. Well, how did you know you win? Well, because I feel this peace. Well, why didn't you have the peace before? Oh, that's because, you know, I was battling something. Okay, so you were battling it with a different mindset, right? Um, the word tells us 
that in James 3.15, that earthly wisdom, earthly wisdom is sensual and demonic. So just thinking a certain way is demonic, right? Now you're going to run into people that say, well, this is demonic and that's demonic and he's demonic and they act demonic. But if you read what demonic means according to the word, it means that you're thinking earthly, right? You're thinking carnally. And when people tell me that's witchcraft, right? So is it witchcraft based on what people tell us witchcraft is? Or is it witchcraft based on what the word of God tells us witchcraft is? Because witchcraft is according to Galatians 5.19. And that's called the works of the flesh. And one of the works of the flesh is witchcraft, right? So people tell me they, you know, they put witchcraft on me. That's a carnal thing. That's a carnal thing according to Galatians 5.19. Not that it doesn't exist, okay? I know that we watch Harry Potter right? I know we see this stuff on TV, the wands and all that. I get all that, all right? If you want to go into battle like that, you go ahead, right? That's fine, okay? I just want to make sure that you have victory with whatever it is you're fighting. Remember, we talked about putting on the armor. Armor is Jesus, and the armor is given to you so you can stand. Uh, James 4, 7, resist the devil, and he'll flee. So how many people would you know that if they just submitted themselves to God, resisted the devil, they wouldn't need deliverance. Amen. How many? Because the Bible says he will flee. The problem is we don't teach people how to resist. I'm going to show you how Jesus resisted. This is what all this is about, okay? So we go to Matthew chapter 4. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So we know that he's going there to be tempted. Correct? And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards hungry. So this temptation didn't come till 40 days later. Okay? 40 days later is when temptation comes. Okay? And when the tempter came, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. This is very interesting because Jesus is the stone and the bread. Very interesting, right? But he answered, and, but before, before we go there, what is the temptation doing? It's, it's, it's appeasing to his hunger, right? Because he's hungry. Can we agree with that? First it said he was hungry and then the tempter came. Or was it the tempter and then he got hungry? Which one? What does it say? It says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards hungered. So the hunger comes first. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if you be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And he answered and he said, it is written. Okay, so how did he defend himself? It is written. Why didn't Jesus use the Holy Ghost inside of him? He didn't have it yet? I don't know. We're going to have to have a deep discussion on this. Yeah. Here's what's crazy. So, so this is a very interesting question. When did Jesus not have the Holy Ghost? He was born of the Holy Spirit, guys. That's why he was called the anointed one. Okay. Now, people will tell you this. Jesus didn't receive the Holy Spirit until he was baptized. 
I, I want to go so deep into that right now. Okay. So this is why Jesus was baptized, okay? Uh, as a rabbi, and this is not what we're usually taught because we're Westerners, and this is an Eastern teaching, right? Um, rabbis, when they get baptized, they have to be baptized by the one who picked them and his successor. So it's two of, two of authority, right? So John the Baptist was the one who baptized him. He was the one of authority, and he voiced in the wilderness. So he was one of them. So he baptized Jesus, and he was also a priest. I don't know if you guys know that, because he's the son of a Levi. He's the son of, of, um, of Zachariah was his father, right? So he baptizes him, right? So he's baptized at the age of 30. The reason that he, he's baptized at the age of 30 is because under the Jewish custom, uh, 30 is the year of power, and it's also the year that you receive your father's inheritance, Right? So Jesus was baptized at the age of 30, receiving his father's inheritance, which was the kingdom of God, right? So when they baptized him, it was two of authority that baptized him because the first one was John the Baptist, right? And who was the second one? Right? It was God. God said, this is my son and who I'm well pleased. That's two of authority. Authority on earth, the voice of God. Authority of heaven. Holy Spirit ascended like a dove, Right? And the reason it ascended was to show that his hand was on Jesus, excuse me, that it had ascended. It was proof. He wasn't receiving the Holy Ghost because he already had the Holy Ghost. The only difference now is that he was walking in authority now. That's why they asked him, by whose authority do you do these things? The reason they asked him that was because you're a rabbi and we don't know you. Who trained you? Who taught you? Who said you could speak this way? Who's your authority? Who is he? And he was telling him it was John the Baptist because he said, was John the Baptist, was his, was his word of God or of man? And they said, we don't know. And he said, because they were afraid they were going to be stoned. And he said, in the same way, I'm, I'm not going to tell you either. But he was telling him, John the Baptist is my authority. He's the one that baptized me. But he never answered him. But we know John the Baptist is the one who, who, who baptized him into authority. Right? That's the reason they ask him, by whose authority do you do these things? Because they're asking him as a teacher, who told you that you were a rabbi? Who told you that you could do this? Who told you that you could pick 12 guys and teach them? Who told you? Because now he's saying, you've heard it said, but I say. He's not a scribe anymore. When he says, I say, he's not taking on a yoke, which means that he now takes the word on for himself, right? This is why Jesus says, tell me, because the yoke is um, the way that he sees things, the way that he understands things, and his load now becomes your load. So you're not carrying his load. That's what a yoke is, right? Um, so anyways, so Jesus, he's in the desert, and my question is always, why didn't he just, you know, defend himself with the Holy Ghost? Why didn't he just go into spiritual warfare mode? Why didn't he just get on his face, start praying, and go into spiritual warfare, and pour out a spiritual sword, and start cutting him down? Why didn't he do that? Right? Because he's modeling it out. Resist the devil. So how do you resist the devil? It is written. It is written. Because the devil's always going to lie. And uh, absolute truth is the word. Right? So my question is this. What would happen if you were in the desert and you were being tempted of the devil? Could you say it is written? Because that's what you're supposed to use on the enemy is the word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. Right? And here's what's very interesting. The Holy Spirit didn't put the text into him. He had to learn it himself. Do you guys know that? He had to learn. 
A lot of people don't know this. There's Bet Sefer, Bet Midrash. Um, is it Bet Sefer, Bet Talmud, Bet Midrash, right? These are the three schools of teaching. Um, at the age of between five and ten, you have to memorize the, the books of the Torah, which is the five books of Moses. And then at the age of 10 to 14, you have to memorize the rest of the Hebrew scripts. And then by the age of 14, if you want to be taken on as a rabbi, you have to be trained. So Jesus went through the schooling because we know at the age of 12, he's in the synagogue and he's doing the art of questioning. And they're like, man, he knows his word. He knows his text, right? So Jesus can say it is written because he knows his text, right? The Holy Spirit does not put the text in you. You have to know the text. You have to know the written word, right? It's very, very interesting. At some point, we got to be able to read what it is we have and be able to use it, right? So he goes, Then the devil takes him up into the holy city and sets him on the pinnacle of the temple. Now, I've always imagined this in my mind because it says that the devil took him, right? And I try to see in my mind, so what, is he taking Jesus by the hand? Like, hey, come on, let's come this way. And Jesus is like, yeah, let's go. And then he says that he sets him down. Like says, hey, sit down. This is very interesting, right? I'm going to keep going. Then the devil takes him up into the holy city and sets him on the pinnacle of the temple and says unto him, if you are the son of God, now, now every single time the tempter is making him question if he is the son of God. If you are the son of God, do this. If you are the son of God, do that. <clears throat> so he's always asking him if he is the son of God. Hey, the issue would have been, if he'd have done everything that the tempter would have told him to do, he would have been questioning who he is. Because he's saying, if you are, do this. So he's trying to prove that he is. You don't need to prove anything, right? You don't need to prove anything. That's what he's trying to tell him. He goes, and he said unto him, if you be the son of God, cast yourself down, for it is written, he shall give the angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear you up. That's at any time you dash your foot against a stone. You might want to push pause on that, bro. There we go. Jesus said, Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil takes him up into an exceedingly high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said unto him, All these things will I give thee if you will fall down and worship me. And he said unto him, Get hence, saying, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. Then the devil left. Well, of course the devil left because you resist the devil, and he flees. Right? So here's the question. Here's the question. Right? And if you know the answer to this because you've heard the study and the teachings, don't answer. Right? Let this be for someone who, who, who's trying to find the answer. Right? So uh, what's your name, young lady? I say young lady. Uh, what's your name, ma'am? Yes. Jeannie, I'm going to ask you a question, okay, Jeannie? Okay. All right, cool. Okay, so Jeannie, raise your hand real quick. All right, here's the question, all right? Don't worry, it's only a lot of people watching. Um, <laughs> when Jesus was in the desert, according to your understanding, what did the devil look like? Just give me, give me an answer. Any, it could be anything. Just, just her, guys. What the devil look like? D describe him to me, if you could. Oh, I guess a uh, man. Okay. Man. Okay. Um, wow, that is a good question. Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. 
So, okay. So now let me ask you. Okay. So now let me ask you something. Okay. Yeah, that's great. So let me ask you something. Do you ever get tempted? Yes. What's the devil look like? But you just said it was a man. You just said it was dark. Do you see what you just did? You created a figure. Only in the story. But in your life, he's not there. Right? So not that he's not there physically, but there's something talking to you that's not of God. Right? And it's called the tempter. Right? Is this good right here, bro? Yeah, you're good. Okay. It's called the tempter. So let me ask you something. I'm not saying the devil wasn't there. What I'm saying is this. When you go home, your neighbor's going to be there. The TV's going to be there. The news is going to be there. The radio's going to be there. The magazine's going to be there. The porn site's going to be there, right? The, the dirty jokes are going to be there. The cigarettes are going to be there. The drugs are going to be Everything's going to be there, right? So I'm not saying the devil wasn't there. What I'm saying is this. How does, the, how does the enemy attack us as born-again believers? But what we've been modeling and what we've been saying to people is that this spirit shows up, right? And it's this person, and he kind of just follows you around and tempts you all day long, right? That's what we think. But now let me ask you this. So I am not saying the devil wasn't there. What I'm saying is this. How can I teach this? So it helps you overcome temptation. That's what I'm addressing. I'm addressing is how do you walk out Matthew chapter 4 if you're looking for a person? How do you walk it out if you're waiting for this entity to show up with this cloak or a guy hidden or just... And here's the thing. Is the devil a liar? So if he does show up, is he going to show up in his true form? Okay, so if, he does, so if he shows up in any type of form... Should you listen to him? Should you believe him? Should you give him the time of day? So then again, he's a liar, right? 